0: Good morning. Let us begin. Beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Begin by thanking our sponsors, our sponsors, for the month of Av. Paul and Kathy Pollock in honor of all of their grandchildren. Dafil in honor of the for Yehuda Ben Michal. Our week of learning sponsors, binyamin Fleischman in memory of his father, yudel Ben Benjamin Yaakov, the Debracha, and Selma Wolf with incredible Hakara Sato for the Lima of her granddaughter. Dr. Carrie Davis, our Day of Learning sponsors, Robert and, and Alina Imas, Imas in honor of Akiva Weinberg's Bar Mitzvah. Beautiful. Mazel tov to everyone. Again, all, all the Neshama and Aliyah, the families in Nechama, and all those who require a refuah should have one together with Kol Chole Yisrael. with that, let us begin a really beautiful daft ahead of us today. Today's daft is Memches 48, and we are picking up Amir Hashem on Memzain Amaday's 47B. And we are picking up five lines up from the bottom. Amarava. the town of our conversation holds, Mizonos da'areisa, that the obligation to go ahead and a husband to provide his wife with Mizonos is a biblical obligation, is a din How do we know this? So we'll say, the Torah says as follows, this time we learned in braisa So remember, the Torah, when speaking about, when speaking about, it's actually interesting, the context. The Torah is describing if a man marries a wife and then he marries a second wife, he is not permitted to diminish his obligations towards his second wife. So the way the Torah phrases this is, If he marries a second wife, She'ira, ksusa, lo yigra. He may not diminish her she'er, her ksus, and her ona. So the Shail is, what do these particular things mean? So the Gemara says as follows, the Gemara says, Desad ya she'ira, Eil mezonos, She'er, refers to mezonos, refers to the husband's obligation to materially support his wife. Vechinu omer, v'okhlu avasher, v'okhlu she'er amin. The Pasek says over here in Micho, they have consumed the food of my nation. Ksusa, what is ksus? Kim ha'shmo'o, we'll say ksus refers to clothing. So she'er, so she'er, a husband is obligated to, to provide his wife. With food, ksus, a husband is obligated to provide his wife with clothing. Onasa zu ona ha'amura Onasa, what does that refer to? That refers to ona. That refers specifically to intimacy. To intimacy, and again, he says zu ona ha'amura b'torah. V'chenu omer. In Tana Espinosa. This is actually interesting. This is the Pasek, ultimately, again, the conversation between Lavan and Yaakov. So, Lovan, Lovan trying to play the role of the pious father tells Yaakov, Don't take any more wives and afflict my wife. So, the, the affliction that he was referring to is if you marry more women, you won't be able to pay intimate attention to my, to my daughters. So, the idea of here is that Una refers to physical intimacy. So, we'll say this is, this is the first Tana that we're going to quote. Three obligations that a husband has to his wife, She'er, Ksus, and Ona. She'er being clothing, Ksus, I'm sorry, She'er being food, Ksus being clothing, Ona, referring to physical intimacy. And I will say, the frequency of that intimacy, again, the Gemara will discuss. Rabbi Elazar Omer, She'er zu Ona. So I will say, Rabbi Eliezer argues, Elazar, excuse me, Rabbi Elazar says, She'er doesn't refer to the rather, She'er refers to intimacy, Vechinu Omer. Ish, ish al kol she'er b'saro lo legalos erva. So this is actually very interesting. See, quotes over here the pasuk by erva. Ish, ish al kol So I will say this is this is the pasuk telling you about forbidden relations. But the lushan it uses is she'er b'saro. So you see that sha'er is a lashon of well sha'er literally means like like flesh like like body, but it means over your intimacy, so She'er means intimacy. Siddhi Marv says, Ksus means clothing. Ona elamazonos. Ona means mezonos. V'chino Omer, V'ya'ancha, V'ya'ancha, V'ya'ancha. I say, last week's parsha. we just had this. V'ya'ancha, 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 So say, so again, you see the Lashen over here of Ona, V'ya'ancha, even though, again, the Lashon of Ayancha means he afflicted you, but ultimately, again, that Lashon of Ona is used in the context of food, and therefore Rabbi Lazar says, refers to Mizonos. So I also want to point out, Rabbi Lazar is not arguing on the first Tana, in other words, in terms of the three core obligations. The obligations are the obligations, food, clothing, and intimacy. What Rabbi Lazar is arguing on is ultimately where those are learned out from top of Memches, Rabbi Eliezer ben Ya'akov Omer, quite interesting, She'ira Ksusa. say again, j- just to point out, what's the Pasuk? The Pasuk we're referencing over here is Imachera si'kach She'ira Ksusa va'onasa lo yigra. So the idea of the Torah is outlining that the obligations that a husband has towards his wife share, Ksus, and Ona. This is an incredible limut here. Rabbi Eliezer ben Ya'akov says as follows, He says, In fact, you have to read these a little bit as a juxtaposition. So what does it mean? He says, Read it as, meaning what? In accordance with her flesh, or we're really going to see what this means is, in accordance with her age, provide her with her clothing. Meaning what? shel don't give a young woman's clothing to an old woman. shel Liyalda, and don't give a young, an old woman's clothing to a young woman. So we'll say, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, "Over lafum she'ira. Rashi says, Kashala masui. So an older woman often has difficulty wearing heavier clothing. lisbo rechavim she's unable to go ahead and wear, you know, literally wider heavier clothing. The Yelda, be gadim On the other hand, the young girl often wears, you know, more elaborate clothing. to look beautiful, to look beautiful. Says such a beautiful drasha. Sarbla so ben Yaakov says, sheira kisusa. Make sure her kisous, her clothing is in accordance with her share, with her age. Furthermore, kisusa vaonasa. So ultimately, again, when it says ksusa onasa, so we'll say, so essentially, remember the pasik says, she'ira kususa onasa. So really what's happening over here is what Lazar bin Yaakov says, the entire pasik is really focusing on clothing. That's really what it's focusing on. So it's saying, she'ira kususa, kususa onasa. She'ira kususa teaches me her clothing should be in accordance with her age. ksusa onasa, her clothing should be seasonally Appropriate, seasonally appropriate. So, what does this mean? So the onasa In accordance with the season, provide her with her clothing. You know, newer clothing is thicker and heavier. Don't give her newer clothing in the summer and worn out clothing, worn-out clothing, which is lighter. During the winter, we'll said, by the way, this Gimara is incredible. This as is, is a father of four girls who is constantly replenishing wardrobes. I'm not talking about my wife, my, I don't talk about my wife, right? Wardrobes every single season. Every single season. And not really ever having understood why people need seasonal clothing. So Lemais again now, Gimar Musakis Ksu, Vistafman Khasam and Alif women are right, women are right. So again, really a quite, a quite an amazing Gemara over here. Rabbi Lazar Ben Yaakov says, Rabbi ben Yaakov says that halacha lemaisa. really the entire pusik is referencing clothing. So she'irah k'susa, k'susa, I'll tell you something quite beautiful. On a, on a bit of a Hashkathic level, Rabbi Nachman discusses this idea, not commenting on this Gemara per se, but highlighting this concept. The Rabbi says something so beautiful. He says that mitzvos, are referred to as clothing. Mitzos are referred to as a baget, as a ksos. We've seen this reference, by the way, in Reb Tzadik as well. And the Rebbe says, "There's, there's an incredible musr that sometimes in life, a person has to make sure that they're wearing the appropriate clothing. In other words, even in Ruchnius, even in Ruchnius, there may be certain things that are appropriate for where we are holding right now, and certain things which are beyond us. You know, the right thing in spirituality is a person has to know, the person always has to grow. But how to grow, what to grow, what areas to grow in, is something that often requires an incredible amount of contemplation and forethought. Because if a person tries to take on too much, or if a person tries to take on the wrong things, I'm not ready to take on certain things, It could totally derail a person's spirituality. And the Rebbe actually quotes this kimara. He says, Rebbe, what do you see? There's a din that a husband has to provide his his wife clothing. When it comes to clothing, what's clothing all about? She'irah ksusa. Clothing has to be age appropriate. Not only that, ksusa onasa. The ksus has to be right for the particular season as well. If the clothing is not right for the particular person or the clothing is not right for the particular season, it might be the most beautiful article, the most expensive brands, right? Wonderful quality clothing. But if it's not right for what I'm holding in life and it's not right for the season, my season in life, then the clothing derails everything. If it's true in physical clothing, it's certainly true in Ruch as well. I have to constantly be adding bigadim. I have to constantly be adding new articles of spiritual clothing. But Lamaisa I have to make sure that my trajectory of growth makes sense. And my trajectory of growth, I'm putting on the right garments for who I am, what I am, and where I'm holding in life incredible let's go right there so Tony Rav Yosef say now by the way I'll point out something interesting Tulsus highlights this he says Rabbi Lazar Ben that's fine but you've just used the entire possek to teach you what clothing what about mizonos and what about and what about intimacy so Tosas points out Rabbi Lazar Ben must certainly learn those out but he perhaps learns them out from other sources okay so in other words the beauty of this Gemara is everyone is agreeing on the three core obligations that a husband has towards his wife. She'er, I should say, the three core obligations are food, clothing, and intimacy. What, how you learn them out, that itself seems to be subject to Machlokas. Beautiful. Tani Rabbi Yosef, let's go weiter. Right there. She'erah, Zukirub Basr. Basr. Yosef goes a step further. Rabbi Yosef agrees with the first Tana and holds that She'er, in fact, does refer to physical intimacy. But Lamaisa, it refers to the fact that physical intimacy must also occur with actual physical contact. Meaning what? That ultimately a person should not conduct themselves like the Persians, because how did the Persians conduct their, their intimate lives? Ultimately, the Persians... Would engage in physical relations fully clothed. I mean, you know, you know, whatever, exposing whatever they need to expose, but again, fully clothed. So the Gemara says, If a man says to his wife, If a man says to his wife, I only want to engage in relations, me wearing my clothing, you wearing your clothing, ultimately, such a man is obligated to divorce his wife and pair out to folk Suva That is not called intimacy. Part of intimacy, again, part of the husband's intimacy is a sense of physical closeness as well. So I will say, I saw I saw brought down in the Sheh Mishmuel, Tzachar such a beautiful idea that this applies in our relationship with our Kaddish Baruch Hu as well. HaOmer A'i Efshi Ela Ani big He will say, you know, sometimes, sometimes we come to our Kaddish Baruch Hu but we're unwilling to remove our begotten. We're unwilling to remove certain layers. In other words, I do certain things and I engage in certain behaviors that by definition create a barrier between myself and Hashem. It creates a layer that's there. And I'm willing to engage but I'm unwilling to remove those obstructions. I'm unwilling to remove those barriers. I'm unwilling to remove those things that create the separation between me and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the so, so Shemesh says that a person comes along, he says, I want to have a relationship, but I only want to have a relationship if you wear your clothing and I'll wear my clothing. The Gemara says, that's not a relationship. <laughs> that's not a relationship. You're going to come with the barriers. You're going to come with the things that go ahead and separate. You're unwilling to remove the things that cause obstruction. You can't forge a meaningful relationship like that. And I will say, if we think about it, the Shemesh Moshmuel is teaching us such a profound idea that here is, see, we know each of us, each of us, I, I really think it's each of us, has things that we do that we know, create a distance between ourselves and the Rebao Nausha and yet i have this burning desire for relationship so i live in a little bit of this contradictory state i want to be close but i know that i'm actively engaged in things that push me away that push me away but I convinced myself that I could have my cake and eat it too. And to a degree I can. You can always have some level of relationship. I can have a relationship with God, even if I'm doing things that keep me separate. But I say if you want spiritual intimacy, if you want spiritual connection, if you want the spiritual, the spiritual marriage with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that requires the removal of the begotten. That requires the removal of the things that I know are keeping me distant. Omer, Ani So, we'll say now the Gemara comments on the last part of the Mishnah. So, we'll say, remember again, going back to the last part of the Mishnah. The Mishnah said, Afilu Ani Shabi Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Afilu Ani Lo Yipchos It's an interesting, interesting statement. So, the, the, the Mishnah said, Rabbi Yehuda said, even if a person, even if a man is poor, right? Even Ani Shabi Yisrael, poorest of Jews, when he's burying his wife he must make sure to provide for at least two flutes, two flutes and a wailer, and a wailer, someone to wail, someone to wail. I will say, by the way, I'll point out, you know, it's interesting, by, you see, by, in, in America, you, you don't see this. In other words, people singing at a Levaya, or in Eretz you'll often see it. You'll often see it. It's clear, Interesting. interestingly enough, from, from the Mishnah, that halacha l'maysa, music in some form, right, was actually part of the levaya, right, chalil is a chalil is, is, is a flute, right, The so uh, levaya requires at least two flutes, at least two flutes, a whaler is someone who would go ahead and like lead them in crying, just interesting, in any event, so the even an ani has to provide this at his wife's levaya, to which the imara says, michlal datanakama sarah hanilo, so we'll say, sounds like to me that the tanakama holds that this is not necessary, so he. Hey, Chidomin. What's the case? What's the case? What's the situation? Id So we'll say if it's the normal course. If it's the normal course, ultimately again to have these things at a levaya. So why would the Tanakama disagree and say that a husband is not obligated to provide this? So my time with the Tanakama do Amralo, vi id the And ultimately again, if this is not common, my time with Rabbi Hudo. Why would Rabbi Huda require it? So what's going on over here? Lo this is fascinating. Kagon, the archeid, the lav So we'll say what's the case? The case is where this is common practice in his family, but wasn't common practice in her family. In her family, Tanakama Savar, watch this. So we're gonna see this, this primary sugya occurs in a couple of blackana, now, so we'll see it then. But we're gonna reference it now. It's quite fascinating. So listen to this. Tanakama savar. I both say there's a concept in Halacha of A wife goes up with her husband but doesn't go down with her husband. Meaning what? They will say if he has a higher quality of living than she does, let's say before they get married, he comes from a wealthy family, she does not. So she adopts his quality of life. That's Ola Imo, Veino imo. And the is, if she comes from a wealthy family and he does not, he agrees to support her in accordance with the manner to which she is accustomed. That's what it means. Oleimo, veino yo imo. They will say, by the way, we actually insert this concept into the ksuba, where again we write in the ksuba that a husband is obligated to support his wife. One word, vikushta. Kushta means in comfort. What does it mean in comfort? What, what does that mean? What I think is comfort is... It was of cause comfort means in accordance with the lifestyle that either she is accustomed to or that I am accustomed to. The higher of the two is the one that I am obligated to support my. That's what it means. So listen to this, Obosai. So Tanakama Sava Ki ve'ino yoredes So Tanakama holds the concept of ole imo ve'ino yo des imo, that, that applies when? During her lifetime. During her lifetime. Avala misalo. But after death, it doesn't. Therefore, I will say what? So remember again, what's the case? Rachel's married to Ruvain. Rachel dies. Rachel dies. In Rachel's family, it was a, it was a more simple family. They never had flutes and they never had wailers. In Ruvain's family, they always had this stuff. So Tanakama holds the concept of ole imo ve'ino yore des imo, that only applies when during Rachel's lifetime doesn't apply during her death. Rabbi Huda, on the other hand, holds. On, Rabbi Huda, on the other hand, holds, no, that the concept of ola emo the yoredes emo applies both during life as well as during death. Incredible. Therefore, Rabbi Huda holds in the Mishnah we're talking about a case where Reuben would be obligated to provide Rachel with the flutes. And with the whaler, even though again this was not her standard of living, it was his. Incredible. Amrkhist amarukva. So the aloka follows Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Huda. So by the way, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna see this suya. There's some really fascinating examples of this. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says, Hani Mili Michayim, Kigon Hu Omer Lahonik Espinah, the Omer Shalol Lahonik. So we'll say we're going to see one of the interesting cases is as follows. Let's say again, Rachel marries Ruvain. Rachel marries Ruvein, and they have a child. Bar Hashem. And now Rachel wants to hire a wet nurse, and Ruvein says, No, I don't want to pay for that. Nurse the baby yourself. And she says, Well, the women in your family hire wet nurses. He says, Well, the women in your family don't. Right. So what's the halacha? So again, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm not going to thrash it, but we'll see. We'll see this sugya so namely that the concept of ole emo ve ino yo emo applies even when in death in death bamraf Rav okva mishne shtat mishne shtat was <laughs> a very interesting case here mishne someone's gone insane someone's gone insane so what's atala <laughs> based in yardin lekhasav so a very interesting case here. Someone goes insane. Someone goes insane. What's that bazin goes down to his property. So bazin goes down to his assets. And what do they do? They manage his estate. And what do they do when they manage his estate? They go ahead and they provide Zonos for his wife, his daughters, his sons, and they also provide acher, something else. Okay, what that something else is, we'll have to see. Why is different in the following case? Listen to this case. Let's say a person, went, a man went overseas. And what happens? And he forgot, or whatever. Well, I don't know if the word is forgot. He didn't leave any money for his wife didn't, he was, he was busy, he was busy, right? He didn't leave any money for his wife or for his children. So now his wife shows up to Bezdin and she's like, I, I need mazonos What's the halacha? Be, Be, Beisdin, nechasav, vizonen ishto, osav, Beisdin will go into his estate and go ahead and provide mazonos for his wife, but not for his children, nor do they provide davr achar now we'll say we're going to see by the way it's actually in tomorrow's sugya. we're going to discuss about a father's obligation to support his children we're going to get into that now we know that a husband absolutely has an obligation to support his wife we just learned that right that's sher Susan and however you want to interpret it everyone agrees that is so therefore again if he left town without without making arrangements basin will go down to his estate and make provisions for his wife, for Mazonos, but not for his kids in not for So they will say, so remember again, this is Ravina Travashi. Ravina Ravashi, I don't understand the difference in the two cases. In other words, Ravina's saying, shouldn't Ta'alacha be the same? Case number one was, a guy went insane. A guy went insane. What's Ta'alacha when he goes insane, loses his mental capacity? What's Ta'alacha? Basin goes down to his estate, and what? Provides Mazonos for his wife, for his kids, and provides davra achar, something else. We don't know what something else is yet. Case number two, he travels overseas, fails to make arrangements before he leaves. What's the halakha? Bazin goes down to his estate, provides mizonos for his wife, but not for the kids, and not for davra achar. So Ravina says, what's the same in the two cases? I don't understand why, in the case where he goes overseas, why wouldn't Bazin do the same thing? Provide mizonos, not just for the wife, but for the kids as well, and davra achar. To which Ravashi responds, no, no, no. There's a huge distinction, I would say. In the case of where a person goes insane and loses capacity, he didn't have an opportunity to go ahead and provide, to make arrangements. So what do we do? Based in acts, based on what we assume a normal, regular person would do. What does a normal, regular person do? He supports his wife. He supports his kids, and he provides money for Dabrach, whatever Dabrach is. When a guy goes overseas, I will say, he had an opportunity to make arrangements. But what? But what? He didn't. He didn't. He has full mental capacity. If he wanted to go ahead and set aside money for his wife and for his kids and for Dabrach, he could have done so. Now, when it comes to his wife, he's biblically obligated to support her. So if he didn't take care of that, Bazin will act on his behalf and do that. But as far as his kids are concerned, as we're going to see, a father doesn't necessarily have an obligation to support his kids. He could have made those arrangements, yet he chose not to. Based in that case, says Ravashi doesn't have the ability to go ahead and just act on his behalf when he could have made arrangements. Rav Ashi making such a fundamental distinction. When a guy loses capacity, we have to act on his behalf because he cannot make arrangements for himself so we act based on the standards of a regular person but when a guy could have done something didn't do something basin doesn't have a right to go ahead and act on his behalf except for things for which he is biblically obligated to go ahead and provide which is mazonos for his wife pretty incredible he's actually quite interesting she says "Lo when a person leaves his locale And he has complete knowledge, complete capacity. He had the ability to make arrangements for the masonos of his wife and for his kids, and yet he didn't do so. He's obviously making it clear that what? That what? He doesn't want to support them. Now again, So his wife, he doesn't have a choice. Right? His wife, he has to support. But for one's children, as we'll see, he doesn't have an obligation to support them. And I say, what, what essentially what essentially Ravashi is answering to Ravina is, there is a default. The default we assume with most people is that what? They want to support their family. That, that, that's the, I'm not in, Definitely, right? But Lamaisa, right? But right? but Lamaisa, right? a regular person wants to support their family. So therefore, Nishtatis, the default kicks in. So the default is, again, I'll say wife, wife, there's never really a question about wife because wife is not a choice. A man is obligated to support his wife. But the default is, if I have children, at least young children, I want to support them. So when Nishtatis, the default kicks in but a guy travels overseas and could have made arrangements but doesn't do so, you have no right to activate the default. We have to go with what is, which is we assume that Allah doesn't want to support his kids. Incredible. So my davar Acher, by the way, what is this davar Acher? Very interesting. Davar Acher refers to... Now, we'll say tachshit usually means or could mean jewelry. In this case, look at Rashid fascinating. Tachshit means this shall perfume perfume means perfume so will say so again just to be clear so now just to plug this in for well, actually let's read this again, yosef omer it means charity assessments against the estate so will say remember again in communities in communities there be a tzedakah tax that they that they would assess against our tzedakah obligations that they would assess against every individual of the community. So just to plug this in for just a moment, it's quite fascinating. So therefore remember, in the first part, in the first case of Nishtatis, where the guy goes crazy, loses capacity, insane, something crazy. He goes insane. So Lama's again in that case, halacha, basically goes down to his estate, provides money for his wife Mizonos, kids Mizonos, and Davra Akhar. So says, so according, according to Rav Chisla, we give the wife money for perfume. According to Rab Yosef, we also take from the estate community tzedakah. Community tzedaka. So says, in the second case of where he goes overseas, he leaves Ladas. So in that case, then what? We don't seize money for davar Akhar. So either that means we don't give the wife money for perfume. We'll give money for mazonos but not for perfume. Or according to Yosef, we won't seize money for tzedakah from the estate in that case. So watch this. So I'll we'll say the opinion who says that we seize money for per perfume, right? They'll take money, they'll take money for perfume, would we'll certainly agree that we also take money for tzedakah. Now I'll we'll say this by the way, this is really referring to the second case. So in the second case, for yatsala Daito, Right, where the husband leaves willingly. So, what was that lacha there? We'll take money for the for the wife, but we don't take money ultimately for what? For mizonas for the kids and for dabra achr. So, so, the opinion who says that la is takshit. if you're not going to take money for the wife's perfume, you're still not going to take money for tzadakah. Ma'am but the opinion who says that it's tzadakah, but tachshit yavinala would still agree that although we're not seizing money for tzadakah, we will give the wife money for perfume. Why? Because a husband does not want his wife to become physically repulsive. Let us say, understand something. Perfume bisman haGimara is different than perfume than the way it's used today, right? Perfume today is used as an enhancement. Perfume during times of the Gemara was often used to mask odor, and that's because again, hi, right? Personal hygiene, daily hygiene, was different was different, people weren't necessarily bathing every single day, so perfume was incredibly important just for a person to smell good. So therefore it's interesting, so the Gemara says, according to the opinion, who says, that the Acher is tzedakah, if the husband leaves, with right, he goes overseas, and he doesn't leave any instructions, we won't seize money from the estate to satisfy his tzedakah obligations, we'll wait till he gets back, but we would seize money to give his wife money for perfume, because we assume that a husband wants his wife to, to be to be to be beautiful, right? Or she's saying to, to not become repulsive. Incredible. So the goes right. I'm Rav Kiyi Funa. Interesting case. Medina S'ayam So listen to this. If a man went overseas and while he's overseas, his wife died. So now we have to pay for the levaya. So Basin yardin' the So Basin so ultimately goes goes into his estate and takes the money from his estate to provide for her burial. Lafi Kavodo in accordance with his honor. So, in accordance with the husband's honor, not her honor. af Lafikvodo. Even in accordance with his honor. What do you see from here? both say they had to be paskin. Oh, remember again, we saw before there was a machlokas. Everyone agrees that when a man marries a woman, she only, she goes up with him in terms of a higher lifestyle, but never goes down. So she is supported in accordance with the higher of the two lifestyles, her own or his own. What about when she dies? What about when she dies? So I will say, again, it was a in the Tanakhama and Rabbi Huda in the Mishnah. Kamashal and we that even when she dies, we apply the concept of So her levaya, her levaya ultimately, again, will reflect the elevated standing of her husband, assuming that she married into a wealthier family. Interesting. I'm Rav Nasna. So I was say, by the way, it's also fascinating. What are what you also beginning to see? Again, we don't have this today because we do not have this level of organized community. But I you see that in an organized community, the power of Beisdin. I mean, this is the power of Amin. I mean... I mean I guess it's not really eminent domain because you're not seizing assets, you know, for the greater good, but you see it's Hefker based in Hefker, right? That in has power over people's money. That here again, wife died, husband is nowhere to be found. He's overseas on a business. He's nowhere to be, he's nowhere to be found, right? He can't wire any money or do anything. So in has the right to go take property, sell it off or do whatever they have to do, in order to provide for the burial needs of the wife. Incredible. So we'll say this is an interesting case. Let's say a man says, If my wife dies, do not bury her from my estate. Don't use do my property to bury her. Shomunlo. We listen to him. Or why why? Because essentially, I will say what he's saying is, what he's saying is that the property is going to become the property of the Yisomin, and therefore, again, the wife's burial should not come from that property. Even if he says nothing, a man's property is always going to become one day the property of the Yisomin. But how does he have a right to say that his wife shouldn't be buried from that property? Ella, here's the case. is fascinating. <laughs> Listen to this. Let's say a guy is on his deathbed. Guy's guy is on his deathbed and he says, When I die, do not bury me from my estate. In other words, don't pay for my levaya from my estate. So the Gemara says, In shomilo." we don't listen to him. Why not? It is not appropriate for him to enrich his son while taking from the assets of the Tzibor. In other words, it was like, like what's going on over here? Like what's what's the havamin over here? The havamin is like this. There's a concept of mitzvah lekayem divrei There's an obligation to go ahead and uphold the words of someone who is going to die. So can you imagine the scene, right? Reuben's on his deathbed. Reuben's on his deathbed, right? And again, everybody's huddled close. He's saying his final words. What are the final words? don't spend my money on my levaya, right, <laughs> right, right, call, call up Abba Sisra, like, let, let them pay for my levaya, so the kid's are like, ah, oh, the Tata's final words, right, he doesn't want us to spend his money, so beautiful, right, they come to and bazin says, very nice, hopefully he told you something else also, because we're not listening to that, right, so, so the idea over here is, this in general is an incredible idea, that a person is not permitted to enrich themselves at the cost of the community. Again, one of the many examples we have about how we only use communal tzedakah funds for an individual when there are no other options. And there are no other options. If there are other options, then halakha a person is obligated to avail themselves of those options before taking community money. Okay, incredible. Says the Mishnah. So we'll say, fascinating Mishnah. Great. These are great sugyis. Li'olum yibir a girl, a girl we're assuming right now, is always in the rishos of her father, until ultimately, again, she enters into her husband's domain for nisuin. I'm sorry, go back to Amadal just for one moment. Take a look at Rashi. That's Rashi Anadaf. Le'olam hi b'rishos im ba' ba' the idea over here is what this seems to be saying is like this even once a girl enters into Eroson remember during Eroson where was a girl living where was a girl living in her father's son I'm using the word girl because we're assuming right now now we're assuming we must be talking about what either a katana or a nara Obviously, once a, girl's, once a girl becomes a Bogaress, she's no longer a girl. She, she, she's a woman. And, and as a woman, she's a full-fledged adult. So the idea that the Mishnah is saying over here is like this. That a girl, right, kitana na'ara, is fully in her father's rishus until when? Until she transitions into her husband's rishus. Now, I will say, if you notice, by the way, the Mishnah adds in lishus abal, l'nisuin. L'nisuin. Rebbe say, this is a wild sugya Because if you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says, by the way, what's nisuin? Kilomar shetikanes L'shem we're going to get into this. We're not going to have time to do it today, but we'll have to do it in one of the future days. There is a fundamental machlokas as to what is the definition of chopah. We think of chopah as the chopah, you know, the canopy that a chosin and kala stand under. Again, see, it, it's not fair to look at what we do because remember, we do everything under the chuppah. We do erosin under the chuppah, we do nisun under the chuppah. So, but we look at chuppah as the canopy. We're going to see that there's an interesting machlokas as to what the definition of chuppah is. For now, for now, what, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, chuppah is shem nisun, shetei masura l'irashus habal. Chuppah represents chuppah. Nisuin represents entry into the husband's domain. Okay, so that's the statement of the Mishnah. A girl is considered to be fully in the domain of her father, the Rosh of her father, until she enters into the domain of her husband in Nisuin. Says Rashi, what's Nisuin? Chuppah. Good. Masr Ha'av L'shluche So now it's just some interesting applications of this case. Masra Ha'av L'shluche if the father ultimately gives his daughter over to the agents of the husband, in other words, let's say the husband sends a shaliach to go ahead and escort his wife, his arusa, to him. So now, what the Mishnah is adding in is the father giving the, giving his daughter over to the agent of the husband. Essentially, also represents entry into the husband's rishus. However, the father accompanied his daughter together with the shaliach, with the agent of the husband, or for that matter, the father dispatched messengers to accompany his daughter with the, with the husband's messengers. She still remains in the reshus of the father. As we both say, what is the Mishnah saying? The only time that she leaves the reshus of the father and enters into the reshus of the husband is when? When the father is no longer a presence. So in other words, if the father hands are over to the to the shaliach of the baal, then she's in the rishos of the baal. But if the father accompanies the shaliach, right, or the father's shluchim follow, right, accompany the shaliach, then the father has not removed himself. If he hasn't removed himself, she is still in his rishos. Next, masu abal. If let's say again the agents, the messengers of the father gave her over to the messengers of the husband. At this point now, she's in the rishos of the Baal. Incredible. Good. Shabbos, let's analyze this. Mainly olam. the Mishnah started off by saying, olam ha'bal A girl is always considered to be in the rishos of her father until she is fully given over to the rishos of her husband, the Nisun. What does that mean? mean, olam. Always. What does that mean? Ma'ili olam. Lafuki mi shona. Oh, I will say, watch this. This is coming to go ahead and exclude and going to go ahead and exclude something or refute something that we learned on k'suvis daf beis What do <are> we learn k'suvis <laughs> daf on Will you remember this sugya? Of course, you remember this sugya. the is remember a man and woman enter into How Kamudikly, how long again? How long in the times of the Gemara? How long was there between eros and Nisuin? Often up to a year, right? I will say, so again, what's Ta'alacha? What would happen if after a year comes, after a year comes and the husband just doesn't have his act together and is not ready to get married. Remember again, what did the Gimara say? What's Ta'alacha? There is a support obligation that is triggered husband is obligated to support his wife after a year, if La l'maysa again, he is unable to go ahead and get married because of circumstances, you know, related to himself. Furthermore, the Gimara said not only that, but if he's a Kohen, after a year, she's permitted to eat truma. So our Gimara comes along and says that the Mishnah comes along to say that that is false. That is true. in other words, maybe there's a support obligation, that could be, but lemaisa she's not allowed to eat truma. Why is she not allowed to eat truma? Because until she is given over to her husband in Nisuin, she is in the Rishus of her father. And assuming that she is a Yisraelis, therefore she is unable to eat Truma while she is in the Rishus of her father. Incredible. Incredible. So remember again, what the father gives her over to the Rishus of the Baal, to the shluchim, right? To the agents of the Baal. She's now in the Rishus of the husband. Amarav. Misirasa la kol chus So here's what's interesting: when we say that when the father gives her over to the shaliach of the baal, so now she is fully considered to be in the rashus of the baal. What does "fully" mean? So Rav says in every way except for truma, meaning she is fully considered to be in the husband's rishus, except that if the husband is a coin, she can't eat truma yet. Yeah, so let's say, what would be a good example of this? Let's say after the father hands her over to the shaliyah of the Baal, she makes a nether. She makes a nether. Who has the power of revocation? Who has the power of revocation? Husband. Husband. I would as well say, what Rav is saying is, when the Mishnah says that when you give her over, remember again, let me go back, I'm sorry, let me clarify. The Mishnah said that when the father hands her over to the shaliyah of the Baal, what's the halachah? She's in the reshus of the Baal. The U is now is trying to say, trying to figure out, does that mean for everything, for some things? Rav says it means, "for everything except Truma, for everything except Truma." So in other words, she is fully considered to be in the Rosh of the husband, except that if the husband is a coin, she can't yet eat Truma. But for everything else, she's in the Rosh of the husband. she says theishum <laughs> symphon. And also we're going to see the reason for this is because later on we're going to discuss the idea out of a concern that perhaps he's going to discover some type of physical flaw in her that's going to cause mekachtos, that's going to void the marriage. So because of that concern, we do not let, that, we do not let her eat trumah until after nisuin. After Nisuin, Rav Ashi and Rav says after Truma. Rav says no. When the Mishnah says that after the father hands her over to the Shaliach of the husband, she is in the Rishus of the Baal. That means for everything, even Truma, even Truma. So I will say, Rav and Rav Ashi. So a sfei Ravuna the Rav raised the cash and But Ami the yeah, Ichir by Rav the Rav Ashi. Li olam hei bershos saab achetikani zluchopa. But I will say we learned that what? What did the Mishnah say? First line of the Mishnah. She is always in the rishus of the father until she enters into chuppah. So it appears from here that what that ultimately, again, being given over to the shaliach of the husband does not affect full entry of Rushus. Uh, does not affect full entry into the rishus of the husband if she requires chuppah. So Ravasi, how can you say that once she's given over to the shaliach of the husband, she can eat true, but It's not true. So it's great. I'm going Rav. Rav said, I, say, I want to point out over here. Rav said to, to um, Rav Huna, to Rafuna or Chia. Hia is Rav's son. Rav Huna is Rav's Talmud. Right? So Rav either said to his son or to his Talmud. How many times have I told you? Never try to refute someone from a proof. That can be turned on its head because after all, you could answer look you could always answer can answer you. Ravashi, could always answer you, and he could say, the giving over of the wife of the girl to the shaliach of the husband is what? Is chhupa is like khhupa, and therefore again that's why Ravasi holds. That she could even go ahead and eat truma. So we'll say, so that's machlokis number one. Machlokis number one. Again, so we'll say, here's what we have. The Mishnah tells me that when the father hands the girl over to the shaliach of the husband, she is now in the rishus of the husband. What does that mean? So Rav says for everything except truma consumption. Ravasi says even for truma consumption. That's machlokis number one. Ushmulam or so it's very interesting. Shmuel says that what it means is for Yerusha purposes. For Yerusha purposes, I'm also said that. What does this mean? Let's say father hands over the daughter to the agents of the husband, and now what? Daughter dies. Daughter dies. Who inherits her? Shmuel says her husband inherits her. I'm also going back to yesterday's daf. That would mean again all of her dowry, everything else, would now go to the husband once she's handed over. Two, once she's given over, when she, right to, to the agent of the husband, ultimately, again, he in, she's in his rishos for Yerusha. l'ksuvasa, for k'suva. So the Gemara says, k'suva, what does that mean, or Does that mean, the e se yarisla, that if she dies, he inherits him, Then Rishlak saying the same thing, as shmuel. k'suvasa No, this is fascinating. I'm going say, you know what it means? What it means is like this. Let's say, excuse me, let's say, father hands over his daughter to the agents of the husband. And now what? Now what? Now either husband dies or they get divorced from Erizin. What's the Allah? When she remarries, her k'suva is only 100 zos, like a second marriage like a second marriage. Okay. Rabbi Yochan, Rabbi Yachanina, damri ta'avayu, misirasal la'chol aflachruma. And comes on, Rabbi Yochan, Rabbi and they say no. When the Mishnah says that when the father gives his daughter over to the agents of the husband, she is in the rishos of her husband, what that means is for what? for what? For everything. For everything. Ksuva, Yerusha, truma, everything. Everything. So it says, Digimara Mara, meisveh, so I'll we'll say this is actually a very interesting. We'll start this today, but we'll have to conclude this tomorrow. So let will listen to this case. Actually, I'll you know, we'll say we're going to stop over here. We'll pick up Amir with This may state tomorrow. I know we have a lot. We'll have a lot to do tomorrow, but it's all right. Gemara flows quickly. So actually, no, it doesn't. I shouldn't say that. Right? <laughs> hey, so i say. So it just makes me feel better. i but again, I just want to point out what we're leaving off here is here's what we know. We have two principles. Principle number one is that a girl is considered to be in the rishos of her father up until the time that she enters into the rishos of her husband. Now, in a classic case, entering into the rishos of her husband means what? Means what? Chupa nisuin. The Mishnah introduces us to an additional idea that once the husband hands her over to the agent, sorry, once the father hands her over to the agents of the husband, she is now in the rishos of her husband as well. The Shailah, is, the machlokas is, what does that mean? Does that mean fully in the rishus of her husband, like she entered into Khapa? Or is it some quasi-entry into the rishus of her husband, but not full entry? Emirat Hashem, resolution tomorrow. Shkaya.